Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. So let me, uh, let me ask this. How many of you uh, have or have ever had a job? Okay, cool. Most, most of you. Um, so that, that means that we can work with this. Okay, great. So, um, so most of you should be then pretty familiar with what it takes to get a job, right? Uh, what, what kind of things you have to do to actually get a job, what kind of things it takes to get employed, to stay employed, things like that. So uh, I, I had a, a friend who was recently, uh, they've been in the process of hiring, of trying to find some more employees for their business, and um, this person's actually been finding that it's been a little bit harder to find employees than, uh, than they might have expected. And, and so just to be clear, we're not talking about difficulty in finding good employees, we're talking about difficulty in finding any employees, right? And, and even finding just a bad employee. Like, you would think it would be pretty easy to hire, to hire a bad employee, right? Right? right. We, we, can, we can dialogue. That's okay. Yeah. So uh, you would think that would be pretty easy. But, uh, but what she's finding is uh, this person's been telling me about all these people who have put in their applications, and, uh, and they were after this job. And so the employer has, uh, has called these people up, and they've said, hey, you know, in order to do this, there's actually a background check that you have to go through, but don't worry. The employer will pay for this. We just need you to meet us at this location at this date and time, right? Simple enough. And, uh, and it comes to that point, and wouldn't you believe it? People don't show up, right? These people who got their application in, who got a call back, who said that, that, they would, uh, that the employer would like to take the next step with them, and the employer would pay the fees, and they don't, they don't even show up. So the employer keeps trying to call back, thinking maybe we can reschedule this background check. I really need some employees. And now the employer can't even get a hold of these people anymore, and it's just going through this whole runaround. And, and I mean, here's the thing. Hopefully all of us know that if you want to get a job, you have to put in a little more effort than just putting in the application, right? If you have a job or have ever had a job, you probably know that. There are some other steps that you have to take. And, uh, and so, for example, you have to show up for the interview, right? Or if there's background checks, you have to show up for the background checks. Uh, you have to actually go to the training for the job. And if you do get the job and get hired, you actually have to keep showing up to work, right? Otherwise, certain things happen and you're left with less employment than you started with, yeah? So uh, taking that, last week, to take a step back a little bit, last week uh, we left off talking about, we've been going through this series called Breakthrough, and we've been talking about this crazy breakthrough that the early church had in the very beginning of the book of Acts. And, uh, and what we looked at last week is that Peter went and preached uh, a sermon, and 3,000 people afterwards asked him, what do we need to do? And he said, well, be saved and be baptized. And so 3,000 people did just that. And, and so we see th just this crazy explosion that happened inside of the early church. But the story can't end there, right? They can't just put in their application and leave it. 
There's, there's more steps that have to happen. There's, there's more that Christianity calls us uh, to do and to be than to just put the application in and call it good, right? So we're going to take a look at what the early church did. We're going to take a look at what some of those next steps were, what that now what question is, right? You've made it here. Now what do I do? So Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We finished off in verse 41 last week. We'll pick up in 42 this week. And it says, these people, these 3,000, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And so, listen, church, we could spend the next few weeks uh, just camping out in these six verses that we're going to cover today, but you're welcome, we're not. Uh, We'll try and get through them today, and um, I'll have you out of here by two or three at the latest. And so, uh, yeah, you think I'm joking. We'll see. So, uh, Here's what we've got to focus in on, though, is before we really get into what the rest of these verses are, what the rest of these verses cover, this verse actually, this first verse here covers a lot of it, but there's one specific thing that has to come before everything else that happens, and it's that that's highlighted right there. They devoted themselves. These people, when they made the decision to be in, they were all in. It wasn't one foot in, one foot out, kind of testing the waters. It was, they're all in. They were devoted. They were, uh, they were disciplined towards the discipleship that was Christianity. Because, see, when these people encountered Jesus, they recognized that they were encountering the living God and that that living God could, has, and will continue to radically transform their lives. And so that changed everything that they were about. It, it flipped their lives entirely upside down. Because, see, the thing about Jesus is that when you encounter the real Jesus, and understand me, because there's a lot in our Western culture that's trying to define who this Jesus was and what he was about and pulling in all these different directions. And so taking all of that down, when you encounter the real Jesus, he demands a response from you. You're either all in or you're against him. You're on, you're on one side of the kingdom and there's a bad side and there's a good side. And so as these people found their way into that good side of the kingdom, they were sold out for Jesus. They, they saw how devoted he was to them, how, how worth it they were to him, and that determined his worth to them. And so, again, this verse actually covers uh, most of what we're going to go over today. But we've got to start with the devotion. We've got to start with this all-in discipline that these Christians had. That they were all about this. And and if we're going to be a church that experiences breakthrough, there's got to be buy-in. There's got to be seeing the mission of Jesus that we started with in the first week, Matthew 28, to go into all the world, teaching all the things that Jesus had taught them and baptizing all of these people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the mission given to us by Jesus. And so we've got to be sold out on this mission that this is what I was created for. This is what will bring fulfillment to my life. This is everything that God has ever wanted from me. And we'll feel that. I mean, I'm not telling you that it's not going to be hard. I'm not telling you that you're not going to see difficulty. But I'm telling you that that's where you'll finally find fulfillment in your life. But it's got to start with that devotion. It's got to start with being all in, making that commitment that we're all in following Jesus. And so the breakthrough of the early church 
We've got to realize that it couldn't have happened without this total buy-in. I mean, starting out with just this, this small group of people who were following Jesus, and he tells them to go do something. And if they were, you know, I, uh, this is crazy, Jesus. I don't know. I'll just, let me try it. And we wouldn't be reading any of these stories if that was the case. They wouldn't be there. But they are because they bought in, because they were all about this. And so uh, when, I was, when I was a freshman in high school, um, I found myself interested in a girl who did not end up being my wife. And uh, fortunately, because my wife is incredible, she's up there listening. And uh, so here's the thing. When you're a freshman in high school and you find yourself interested in a girl, what will you not do to, to earn this girl's attention? Exactly. Nobody has an answer. So, uh, so I mean, I was whatever it's going to take to get this girl's attention. And so I found out that this girl was on the tennis team for our high school. So I don't know anything about tennis, but sure, I'll go try out for the tennis team. It just happened to be the right time in the year that they were taking sign-ups. So I went and signed up for the tennis team, and, uh, and I tried out. And I mean, I did the best I could. I know nothing about tennis. I just went out there, and I swung the racket and hoped for the best. And, uh, and here's the crazy thing. I made the team, okay? I don't even know the rules, and I made the team. And, uh, and so this girl and I, we, we actually, we started dating for a little bit, and then right before the actual season started, before, I don't, in tennis, is it a season? I don't know what they call it. You can tell how, how into this I was. But before the first set of matches, right, this girl breaks up with me. So the first match comes, and I don't. I just didn't show up. I didn't call the coach up and say, hey, not going to make it. I didn't call in and say, hey, I quit. I don't want to be a part. I just stopped. I had no devotion. I had no body. I didn't care about tennis. I still don't care. Like, listen, I'm probably still really bad at tennis, and none of you will ever know how bad because I have no interest in playing it with you, right? <laughs> it's just, it's not the sport for me. And so, see, here's the thing. I made the tennis team somehow, not having any idea what I was doing. So, so just imagine for a second, what could have happened if I did have some devotion? If I was somehow able to make that team and I had a good coach who was willing to work with me, to, to train me in certain areas, to teach me how to exercise this sport, how to be about this sport and everything. I mean, imagine the things that I could have learned about tennis. But because I didn't have devotion, I know there's a greenish, yellowish ball that goes back and forth, and if somebody hits it in the wrong place, then somebody else gets a point. That's the extent of my tennis knowledge. There's some squares in a little net, and that's it, right? And if you go doubles, I'm even more confused. So I had no devotion. I had no buy-in. I didn't learn anything about it. And see, the unfortunate reality of Christianity is that in our Western culture, this is probably one of the biggest things that's lacking is we have people who, sure, they want to dip their toe into Christianity. I mean, if there's a God who loves them, who's willing to die for them, who uh, would, would trade everything for them, sure, I'll dip my toe into that. I'll try it. But that's not what caused this in the early church. That was total buy-in. That was total devotion. And so I, I do actually think that there are a, a, a couple of things at play in our culture that, that lead to this kind of a culture, that lead to this lack of devotion, I don't think you'll be shocked by them. Uh, I, I think they're fairly prevalent in our culture. And so, uh, first, let's go. Acts 
2.42, again, but we're going to highlight the next part here that I want to cover. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Got that? And the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. So they devoted themselves to something, right? So uh, what we're dealing with is we're dealing with a lack of a willingness to follow the leadership of those in church and a lack of biblical literacy. So, so church leadership, we'll talk about that for a second. Uh, and, and really, I think we shouldn't be surprised by this when we look around at our culture, when we see the things around us, and, and just the blatant disrespect for authority really anywhere, for leadership really anywhere. I mean, watch the news for five minutes and you'll see it. I mean, we, we even see this in our family structure now. I, I just read or I just saw a news article the other day about a woman who was hospitalized because her daughter had beat her. And I mean, this is, I didn't read the rest of the story. I don't know if there was abuse or anything like that going on, but this is something that I think most of us would agree that we wouldn't be shocked to start seeing more and more stories like this as our country progresses down the road that it's going on, right? We just, at, we're going down this slippery slope that has no regard for leadership, no regard for authority. Everybody just wants to live their best life exactly how they want to live it, and they know what's best for them and don't get in their way. That's the culture we live in. But, but when we carry this over to the church world and to, to church ministry, we see more of the same. And, and I want to come at it from this perspective. I, I want you to realize, church, that According to the book of Hebrews, when, when all of this is said and done, when it's all at the end, when I'm standing at Jesus giving an account for my life, I'm responsible for each one of you because I'm your pastor. Like, you, you have to realize that for the people who are in church leadership, that's a heavy weight to carry. That's a really heavy weight to carry. And I take this very seriously. And that doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It doesn't mean that I won't make mistakes. It doesn't mean that, that you have to agree with everything that I say, right? What it does mean is it means that the people who are leading in the church should, emphasis on should, be leading as those who will have to give an answer to God for how they treated his bride, right? So, what I love is, is the way the book of Hebrews keeps going to this, right? Because it says, this is a really heavy thing for me to take, for, for me to be in this position, and the Bible telling me like, hey, you have to give an account for all these people that you're leading. But then the writer of Hebrews says to the church, so hey, help them do it with some joy. Because, I mean, think about it. It makes your life better too, right? I mean, think about from this perspective for a second. If, if you're going to work every single day, do you want to go to work with a manager who's frustrated by what you're doing, who's upset with how the company's being run, who's just grumbling all the time, or do you want to go to, a, to work with a manager who's excited about the prospect of getting to work with you? It's not a rhetorical question. You can answer that. <laughs> We're trying. I got to make sure you guys are awake, all right? We want to go to work with the manager that's excited to work with us, right? We want to be happy. We want to be in joyful scenarios. We don't want to deal with all the garbage that, that life can throw on us all the time. And so this, this isn't just for me. This is for us together in these positions of, of pastor and church, working together to work out uh, what's best for the kingdom of God and using our gifts, our skills, our talents together to lift up Jesus at the end of the day. It's not about me. It's not about you. 
It's all about King Jesus. And so everything that we do is for King Jesus. And so the next, we've got biblical literacy. So for starters, have you ever heard uh, God helps those who helps themselves? Okay, yeah, a lot of hands, a lot of shake, head, head nods. I know how to talk. Uh, yeah, so we've heard God helps those who help themselves. When I was in high school, uh, that was one of those things that most people knew about the Bible. They didn't know much about the Bible, but they knew that the Bible said that God helps those who help themselves, so that's how they live their lives. But, okay, that was Benjamin Franklin. That's not in the Bible. You can't even find that principle in the Bible. God helps those who realize they can't help themselves, who are in a position that they have to rely on God, that they have to lean into his strength. And so that's just a glimpse at our biblical literacy that we're quoting Benjamin Franklin and taking it as gospel. And so we've got to be more serious about the words that are in this book. We've got to be more serious about learning it and taking it, not for granted anymore, but these are words of life. These are words that, that matter. And so, I mean, the early church, they didn't have the Bible the same way that we do. And I mean, sure, they had the Old Testament scrolls, and they, they had that, and, uh, but that wasn't necessarily going to help them a ton as they were trying to figure out this church structure. As they moved from the temple to the church, how does this all start working? And so they leaned in to the apostles' teaching. They had to hang on every word of the men who walked with Jesus, who asked questions of Jesus, who were there with Jesus. And fortunately for us, these men wrote some letters. They wrote some books. And we've got them here with us today. They're, they're the books that make up the New Testament. And so it's in these that we find life, that we figure out what is all this about? What is God wanting out of my life? And that's where we have the answers. That's where we can find them. And see, I don't have any new revelation for you. I, I'm not coming here trying to come up with something brand new that nobody's ever taught before. It's all been done at this point. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to press into these words that I know have life. And if I'm teaching the same thing over and over again, that's okay because it's about King Jesus. It's not about me. And he uses his word to talk to his people, to regenerate his people, to mobilize his people on his mission. And there are so many churches out there now that have this reputation of just being fluff of being good self-help teaching centers more than they are an actual church. But listen, we can, we can never have that happen here. That can never be what we're about. We have to be, under any circumstances, a church that realizes the importance of these words, that realizes that this is how God's communicating to us, and it's not about how I feel at the end of the day. It's about King Jesus Amen. and his mission and what he's doing to this world. And he's just letting us be a part of it. And what an incredible experience for us to be a part of it. So for us to have breakthrough, we have to live like the early church, where we pour ourselves into biblical literacy. And we should be asking the question, how does Jesus want me to live my life? And I promise you that you'll find an answer in there. And so then we move through. They've got the church leadership and the, and the uh, biblical literacy that the early church was pressing into. But then look at this, really interesting. In verse 43, 
It says, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Look at your neighbor. Now look at your other neighbor. Okay. Do you have all things in common? Right? Uh, Look around this room. Do we have all things in common? No. I, I see a lot of different cultures. I see some different backgrounds. I see some people that have gone into different areas for careers and their lives. I see business people. I see people who work in agriculture. I see people who work in ministry. All these different places, all these differences about us. So what in the world did it take for these 3,000 people to have said of them that they had all things in common? So see, to some extent, we have to realize that we're different. And, And to some extent... We have to realize and accept the fact that we're all going to remain different. But here's what happens. Here's what has to happen. And I want to make clear that there is an element that each individual has to change to some degree. We have to to work to become the people that God is actually making us to become. God accepts us right where we are, but he's always moving us and pressing us and forming us into exactly who we're supposed to be. So there is an element of us that changes But more than that, what has to change is our perception, how we see people, right? And what I mean is how you view people has to go from whatever it is now to when you see other individuals, you see other people who are made in the image of God. That when you look around this church, you see other people who God calls his children, right? And then suddenly we start to have a lot more in common than we thought we had, right? Because if all of this at the end of the day is about King Jesus, and I am identified by King Jesus, and you're identified by King Jesus, then suddenly we have a lot more in common than we originally thought we did. And so let me be very clear about something. To each individual in here today, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know the struggles that you're going through or or maybe the high that you're on right now because life just seems to be going right. But regardless where you are, I need you to know this. As we look at people being made in the image of God, these are the implications. You have a purpose. You have a place at the table of God. You were uniquely created. And we can sit and think of all the people who never existed, all the people who could have been, but never have been. And yet, here you are. God took his time on you. God made you. He crafted you for a purpose. He wanted you. It's easy to get caught up in in all these other people that we see and we compare ourselves to. And and why isn't this happening if, if there was somebody to take that on? And yet, here you are. Because God said, I want that one. And so he made that one. Of all the people who never existed, God made your neighbor. He made the people sitting next to you. He made the people living next to you. He made the people working with you. He took the time to carefully put those people together. 
And he created another being made in his image. And that's something that we have to understand, church. We have to wrap our minds about that if we ever want to see and treat people the way that God has called us to see and treat people. So often we let our differences separate us. So often we let our differences discourage us, tear us apart, tear us down. I mean, just a little while back, I went to uh, a church in another city where a friend of mine is pastoring, and I had him take me on a walk through, through all their facilities, and I was, I was looking through it, all the different things that they had done and, and what he's been able to accomplish in just over a year, and, and a lot of what he does is related to technology. And so if you've been here a little while, you know that's right down my alley. That's, I love dealing with anything technology-related. Uh, I, I study it out way too much. And so, I mean, I was all about this. And I was, I was all into what he was showing me. I was blown away by what he was able to accomplish in just a year. And then I came back here, and I started getting down on myself. I'm like, Seth, you haven't done that. You, you haven't accomplished all those things. What have you been doing this whole time? And, and I had to take a step back and realize that God has me and this other pastor on two very different timelines. God has this church and the church that he's at on two very different timelines. And so my perspective coming into this was all wrong. What my perspective should have been is look at this person who God has created and who God has called to do a similar job to the one that I'm doing and look at him just nailing it. He's knocking it out of the park. He's accomplishing the mission of God. And if he has a purpose and can accomplish that, Ultimately, that should encourage me. I should be able to look at that and be reminded that I have a purpose, that God is wanting to use me, and we're just on different timelines. And I mean, imagine if you could, if you could take the book that is your life. All of us would want to skip to the end first, right? We'd want to read the end first. What, what's coming? What, what does God have in store for my life? But we don't have that. So, so why not let the success of other people then be a reminder to you that that person is made in the same image that you're made in. That person has a purpose just like you have a purpose. And God just puts some of us on different timelines. That doesn't mean that anyone's better or worse than anyone else. It just means we're different. And yet we're all made in the same image where we can have all things in common. We can work as a community for a common goal that is the mission of the church. And you know, I often hear people uh, who tell me why they think that they're finished, why they think that they're just done with ministry, they're out. And a lot of times, it's people who are coming to me and saying, Seth, you don't understand, I'm just too old. I have nothing left to offer. I've done what I could, I'm irrelevant now, I have nothing to offer. And, And you know what's funny about that to me? The amount of people who come to me and say, Seth, I can't do anything because I'm just too young. Because, see, those people, they're there. They've made it. They can do things, but I'm not there yet. Do you see the irony in that? Do you see the issue there? Both sides saying, no, if I was just someone else, then I could do something for the kingdom. You know why you're not someone else? Because God didn't want you to be. Because he knew better than that. Because he made you to be who you are. And he's calling you down your own unique path. And if you're here, you're still on mission for him. He still has purpose for you. He's still calling you into this mission 
that is this crazy thing that we're trying to accomplish as the church. We're all still part of that. So listen to me clearly. You are chosen. You are unique. You are beautiful. And you are made with a purpose. And never forget that. Never let anyone or the world tell you otherwise. Because when we start to see who we are, and when we start to realize that other people have a lot more in common with us than we thought, well, then some incredible things can start to happen. And so we're going to read through the rest of this passage real quick. We're going to come back and just hit one part, but, but let's read through this. Acts 2, 45 through 47. Of these people who had all things in common, this is crazy. The Bible says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this is, here's where it gets fun, church. Just know I'm warning you. So here's what we're looking at in this passage, okay? Just to run over it real quickly. Monetary contributions, regular church attendance, fellowship, gratefulness, worshipful hearts, and living peaceable lives. That's all jam-packed right into these, just these couple verses right here. But that's what set the trajectory of the early church to launch them into all the things that came when the persecution started raining down, when people were being killed, when people were being thrown in prison. It all started with this massive level of devotion right here in each of these areas that they had something to fall back on because they had this community of believers who were all sold out for Jesus. And in everything that they did, they leaned back on the power of Jesus. So we're going to run through these real quick. Monetary contributions. This is the fun one, right? So if I can just be totally honest with you for a moment, I don't enjoy being the person who has to ask for the offering every week. If I could put that off on somebody else, please, somebody else take that. Because I realize that there is this stigma that people outside of the church has, that the only thing that we exist for as a church is just to take people's money right? I mean, you probably know somebody who has that perception. And so for people to come to church and then for us to ask for money just feels like we're feeding into that. And there's a part of me that struggles with that. But there are a couple of things at play here. One is that you have to remember that that money isn't yours, James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. All of the things that you would count in your life to be good came from the Father. And listen, it's easy to think sometimes, well, it's my job that I got. It's my job that I'm working. I'm the one putting the effort in. But who gave you your health to be able to get there in the first place? Who divinely worked things out to allow you to get that job? Right? Who made you get up in the morning so that you didn't skip out on that background check that was needed to get that started? Right? All of these things come from God. But, but here's something else. Did you realize that Jesus actually talks about money more than he talks about forgiveness? That's weird, right? I mean, I, I never would have thought that. But 
it's interesting because Jesus recognized just how much of a pull this would have on our lives, just how easy it would be for us to fall into this pit of just chasing and chasing and chasing after money and never having enough because it's not the thing that can satisfy us. It's not the thing that can fulfill us. And he also realizes that we forget sometimes that it comes from him and he's generous. And so just to be clear, I have people ask me sometimes why I don't just have the church automatically take my tithe out of my paycheck. Because I believe that there's importance to sacrificial giving. I believe that there's something important to having that money in my hand, seeing the bills that need to be paid, adding it up and realizing this very well may not work and letting go anyway. And seeing how God works through that. See, and and one side of it is, is just that God calls us to this call of generosity. But another side of it is that we tithe because it helps the church accomplish this mission that we've been talking about. Like, it's unfortunate, but I think most of us realize that things cost money, right? If we want to do things, it costs money. So God calls his people to be generous. And, and here's what's really cool, is God promises us in the Old Testament that you will never outgive him. There will never be a time that you are more generous than he is. You can't do it. And he even calls us, this is the one time that God calls us to challenge him. He says, try me, try to outgive me. And see what happens. So the next, we've got church attendance, right? And this is, this is incredibly important because we do a good job as people separating ourselves from other people. From, from finding ourselves in fake relationships all the way to just secluding ourselves in our homes. Like, I drive home from work, I pull my car into my garage, I close the garage, and then I get out of my car. Right? So like, There's no interaction with the neighbors. I have to be incredibly intentional if I want to have any interaction with the neighbors. Sometimes I see them coming home and I'm like, oh gosh, I'll just drive around the the street until they're gone and then I'll pull into my garage because people are terrifying. And, uh, but we're called to be relational people. God is a relational being in and of himself and out of the abundance of that People were made. God created Adam, and he'd said over and over and over, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he said, it's not good that man should be alone. We're called to this community. We're called to lean on each other. We're called to do this together. Because whether we like it or not, we need help. We were created to need help, to have to lean on other people to help us. And let's not kid ourselves. Christianity can be hard. And so it's important for us to go through this together. And so we'll, we'll run through the rest of these real quick. Fellowship. I love this one because Christians talk about fellowship all the time and we barely know what it really is. And uh, so let me make it simple. It means sharing in life together. We experience life together. And you know what one of the best ways to do that is? Food. Now you see why I like it, right? Like this is that one thing that people for some reason are just more willing than otherwise to do together. And so as a church, we use that. We use food. We've got no problem with that. And and this is, as individuals, one of the ways that you can start bringing this breakthrough. Super simple. Invite people to your home for dinner. 
Listen, people think it's weird to go to people's homes, but not when there's food involved. They're all about it. And you can tell them to bring sides. They'll still do that because as long as you provide most of it, they're down. Like people are all about that. And as these people in the early church sat and ate together and got to know each other and did life together, they, through that, learned how to love Jesus even better. It moved them forward even in their Christianity. And then gratefulness. This one's pretty simple, right? We'll, we'll hit on this one only real briefly. How many of you just love being around ungrateful people? Yeah, didn't see any hands go up for that one, and I don't think it's because you weren't listening this time. We just, we don't like being around ungrateful people. We like grateful people. We like if we do something for somebody to say thank you to us, right? So gratefulness is, is a way that we interact with our culture, but it's also a way that we recognize that at the end of the day, God's the one who gave me everything that I've needed. God's the one who's gotten me to this point. God's the one who continues providing for me. And then worship, as we start to recognize the supremacy of God, the way he's providing for us, the way that he continues to love us in spite of ourselves, when we start to see him for who he is and us for who we are, that leads us to a place of worship, that leads us to a place of just, God, why would you, why for me? And we have no option but to worship him. And so many things are pulling for our worship in our lives. It's important. It's so important, not just for yourself, but for those around you to see that as Christians, we're giving all of our worship to God alone and that we will never get it to anything of lesser value. And then Paul talks over and over, actually, uh, through his epistles, and we see a little bit of it here, this living a peaceable life, just the way that they lived together was, was pleasant. As Christians, we should be pleasant people. We should be the people that everybody else says, if I'm going to be friends with anyone, I want to be friends with Christians because they're just kind people, the kind of people that employers want to hire, the kind of people that, that just everybody seems to want to be around because maybe we're a little weird, but at least we're kind. At least we live peaceable lives. At least we see people as individuals who are made in the image of God, and we allow that to define them instead of everything else that the world tries to use to define them. And so, bringing all of this together, based on monetary contributions, regular church attendance, fellowship, gratefulness, worshipfulness, and living peaceable lives, this passage ends by saying, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. This is a church that had it right. This is a church that got it. They just saw 3,000 people added, and they realized that they were just getting started. This was just the beginning. There was more breakthrough to be had than just 3,000. And so as we move forward in this year, this is what we're working towards. This is the breakthrough that we're praying for. This is the breakthrough that we want to see. Because if God did it once, I believe that he can and will do it again. And maybe it won't be 3,000 people. Maybe it'll be four. I don't know. I can't predict these things. But I believe that if we act as God has called us to act, that God will start moving in the midst of his people and we will see some incredible things. And so remember for yourself and for those around you, 
that you were made with a purpose. You are made in the image of God. And so were the people around you. And so we press into God and this community around us, believing that God will work through those who are made in his image to do the things that he wants to do and to create this world of of just his kingdom, of goodness, of selflessness, of kindness, all the things that we've ever wanted. And we're called to bring that to this world. And so God, we thank you for who you are and we praise you this morning. And we ask that uh, these words would sit in our hearts in a way that as we go through our weeks, we would remember the things that the early church was about. We would remember the devotion that they had. And God, we pray that you would call us into that kind of a devotion. We pray that you would pull on our hearts and our souls to have us uh, have that same kind of devotion that we would be about the things that you are about, God. And we pray uh, for growth in this church, for growth specifically in your kingdom, God, knowing that that's what you want to see. And we just ask that we could be part of it, that we could be used by you. And God, we we pray this morning believing that you want to see uh, this community changed. And we pray believing that you'll use us to change it. God, we thank you for who you are. We love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.